us. We are in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, it's a fairly long book, so we're not going verse by verse. We're just kind of taking summary groups of it. And basically what happens is Jeremiah is a prophet. He is a prophet to Judah. Uh, Saul was the first king, then David, then Solomon. The kingdom splits. Northern part, ten tribes. No good kings. They go into captivity fairly quickly. The southern part is, a, is, is two tribes. We call them Judah. Jerusalem is in the south there. Judah has good kings and bad kings, and God uh, and works with and through them. And eventually there comes a point at which they have strayed so far from God that God has no choice but to send them into captivity as well. And so when we come to the book of Jeremiah, we are at the end of the kingdom. Uh, Jerusalem's about to be destroyed. And Jeremiah comes on the scene, and for 40 years, he talks about what's going to happen. When he starts, there's a good king by the name of Josiah. By the time that Jeremiah finishes, there have, Josiah has died, there have been four other kings. And so we've talked about it. So what Jeremiah does in the book is he gives us 12 messages, if you will, to Judah to get right with God. And we've talked about them. One of the great things about Jeremiah and the book of Jeremiah is God uses a lot of great illustrations for Jeremiah to understand. And we've talked about those. So in one of the sermons, he said, your idols are like scarecrows. He said, you've got to move them around. They can't do anything for you. He said, you take care of them rather than them taking care of you. He, God told Jeremiah, and God asked Jeremiah some unusual things. You're going to see that this morning as well. God told Jeremiah to go buy a new pair of underwear. I used a T-shirt. And he said, now don't wash it, go ahead and wear it, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah wears it. And then God says, okay, Jeremiah, now I want you to take off and I want you to head up into the mountain deal. I want you to put it in the cleft of a rock. And Jeremiah shoves it in the cleft of a rock, puts it up there. Jeremiah goes about his way and then God says, go back and get that. And so Jeremiah goes back and pulls it out of the rock and he says, now Jeremiah, I want you to put it on and wear it. And Jeremiah's like, eh, I don't think so. He said, you know how nasty that is? And God said, exactly, Jeremiah, that's what my people have done. I brought them into a land I gave them everything. It was clean. It was spotless. They had a fresh slate, but they continued to stain and mar themselves by continuing to travel and, and follow after other gods. So, Jeremiah, I will take them back, but you need to understand, Jeremiah, when I take them back, this is what I'm taking back. And, Jeremiah, that's why they have gotten so far from me. Then he takes him to another illustration later in, in one of the sermons, and he talks about the, the righteous versus the unrighteous. He says, the righteous are like a tree. They, he said, in the desert, and he, or planted by rivers. And he said, when difficult times come, when drought comes, he said, they're still strong. They still bear fruit. They can handle life because of a relationship with me. He said, there's others who go along in life. And he said, they don't pay any attention to me. They don't need me. He said, they're like a bush in the desert. And he said, when those difficult times come, he said, they're not going to be able to stand. They're going to dry up. They're going to wither away. They're going to be hopeless. And he said, Jeremiah, make sure that, that these people understand this is what is coming for them. Then he sends him to the house of a potter, and he says, Jeremiah, I want you to go down and watch the potter. And so Jeremiah goes down, and he watches a potter, and he's making a cup or a bowl or whatever he's making. And God says, Jeremiah, it doesn't matter what you think about the cup. It doesn't matter what you think about what it looks like, Jeremiah. He's the potter. He can make it any way he wants. And God used that to illustrate. He said, Jeremiah, I'm the potter. I'm the one in charge. I have the right to do with the pot, the clay, what I want. And no matter what you think, Jeremiah, it's beautiful in my eyes. I'll take care of it. I'm the potter. Then he sent him down to the potter's house again, and he said, Jeremiah, I want you to go down and buy a cup this time. 
buy a piece of pottery, and then he, this was a cup at one point. Um, it's okay, Pat, I'll be careful. Um, <laughs> I'm going to cut myself once doing this. He, uh, he said, I want you to buy a, a pot, and I want you to gather all of the leaders in Israel together, and I want you to stand there in the Hinnon Valley, and I want you to slam it against the rocks and bust it into a thousand pieces. And Jeremiah, I want you to understand, and I want you to tell these people, this is what I'm going to do to them. If they don't turn back to me, Jeremiah, I'm going to scatter them all over. And so Jeremiah does, and you know what happened after that. They decide to end the messenger, and so they persecute him, and they bring him to trial, and they beat him, and then they turn him loose. And we talked about how Jeremiah handled that before God. Now we come into uh, chapters uh, 26 through 29, and they're a little bit harder chapters, and here's why. They're not chronological. They jump back and forth. So I'm going to pull a couple of things out of each one of the chapters, some lessons for us, and then we'll wrap it up with some practical stuff for us to do. So with that in mind, understand that these chapters compose 12 years, and they're not chronological. They jump way back and forth. And so in, in the first chapter, Jeremiah actually goes way back to something that happened a long time ago. But he uses it because it's going to introduce kind of where he's headed. So with chapter 26, here's what he says. And again, go back and read the whole chapter on your own. I'm picking out a couple of sections we want to focus on. He said, say to them, this is what the Lord says. If you do not listen to me and follow my law, which I have set before you, and if you do not listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I have sent to you again and again, although you've not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, talking about the temple, and the city an object of cursing among the nations of the earth. So Jeremiah comes in, this is earlier, okay, in, in his preaching, and Jeremiah comes in and he says, look, here's what's going to happen. If you guys don't turn, if you guys don't change, God's going to come in and he's going to wipe this place out. And he says, this is what's important, he says, I will make this house like Shiloh. That's a reference to, a, to another city that was destroyed. And so what Jeremiah is saying here is, if you don't change, God's going to allow this temple, this great temple that Solomon built, he's going to allow it to be desecrated and just demolished. Now here's the problem. That was heresy in their day. Because notice what happened. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and all the people, this man should be sentenced to death because he has prophesied against the city. You heard it with your own ears. They now come and they get a group of people together and they say, look, kill him. Nobody speaks ill of this. Here's why. These people never thought this would happen. In their minds, here was what they said. It'll happen to somebody else, but it won't happen to us. I mean, it's God's temple. God will always take care of his temple. God's never going to let that happen. God's protected up until this point. It's never going to happen. And so this man is a false prophet. We don't need to listen to him. Let's get rid of him. That was always the solution. If you don't like the message, attack the messenger. Let me say that again. If you don't like the message, attack the messenger. Okay? Some of you struggle because you go out and you try to take a stand. You try to take a stand for what's right and people attack you. It's because they don't like the message. And so they attack the messenger. And it's in debate and speech and everything else. It's one of the weakest forms of, of, of debate is when you make a character assassination instead of dealing with the issue, okay? And notice what he says. He goes on. He says, you've heard it with your own ear. So they talk about that, and here's what they do. They bring in, and this is what's important, they bring in the officials, and, and they have a little meeting. They have like a, a city council meeting kind of thing. 
only it's with all the religious leaders and the princes, and they say, let's do away with this guy. Let's, let's vote to get rid of him and put him to death. The Bible says that they would brought in the princes and, uh, or, and the, the rulers of that time. Let me give you three names who were probably almost assuredly at that meeting. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. They would have been leaders in Jerusalem at that time, spiritual leaders, because what's going to happen is a little bit later, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come in. He's going to take some treasure out of the temple on the first time, and he's going to grab up some of the great young men, the young rulers of the time, and take them into Babylon. At that time, three guys who went were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Another guy who went was Daniel. When you get to the book of Daniel, you know Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the guys who were cast into a fiery furnace. Okay? So here's what, here, here's what I want you to understand. What happens is they have this meeting to get rid of Jeremiah. They call these guys in. They say he's to be put to death, and the, 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 the group meets, and here's what they say. Notice what some of them say. Um, they actually come. They, they actually, I skipped that part of it. Um, they actually say, look, he's, he's done nothing wrong. All he did was make a statement. And if he's a true prophet, it'll come true. And if he's not, it won't. But notice how Jeremiah responds. He says, as for me, I'm in your hands. Do with me whatever you think is good and right. Be assured, however, if you put me to death, you'll bring the guilt of innocent blood on yourselves in this city and those who live in it. For in truth, the Lord has sent me to speak these words in your hearing. Jeremiah, when they want to put him to death, what's Jeremiah's response? Do what you want. My life's in the hand of God. Remember who I said was there? Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Go to Daniel, read the story of the fiery furnace, and what do they say? Do with us what you want. Do you want to throw us in and kill us? God might, God might spare us. God might not. It doesn't matter. Our lives are in the hands of God. We're okay with that. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah had heard what they said before. Somebody else had set an example for them. Jeremiah had said, look, my life's in the hand of God. Do whatever you want. And now, when these three young men find themselves in Babylon, find themselves under Nebuchadnezzar, find themselves in a situation where they have to decide what to do, what do they do? Go ahead. If you want to throw us in, throw us in. God might deliver us. God might not. But our hands are in the lives of God. But the whole idea of the people there was, it's not going to happen here. This can't happen here. And so that's chapter 26. Get to chapter 27. Here's what he says. Here, here's, here's the, sometimes remember I said God asked you to do one. Uh, early in the reign of Zedekiah, now we actually fast forward about 12 years. Son of Josiah, king of Judah, the word came to Jeremiah the Lord and said, this is what the Lord said, make a yoke out of straps and crossbars, put it on your neck, then send the word to the kings of Edom, Moab, and Ammon. Tyre and Sidon, throughout the envoys who have come to Jerusalem, Zedekiah, king of Judah. Give them a message for their masters and say, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Tell it to your masters. With my great power and outstretched arms, I made the earth and the people and the animals that are on it. I gave it to anyone I pleased. Now I will hand all of your countries over to my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I will even make the wild animals subject to him. All nations will serve him and his son and his grandson until the time for this land come. Then many nations and great kings will I subjug uh, subjugate him. <clears throat> what he does is he says, Jeremiah, okay, this is my makeshift yoke kind of thing. It was a long day yesterday. I did this at the end of the day, so no, I didn't get it all sanded out, polished, and stained nicely for you. But 
It, it'll work. He said, Jeremiah, I want you to go down and make a yoke, and I want you to put it on. Now, I could do this, but for me preaching by the... Oh, wait a minute. I'll try this out. For me preaching, this would drive me crazy, all right? Because this is it. Uh, so I'm just going to hang it up like this, all right? So here's what he does. He says, Jeremiah, I want you to make a yoke, and I want you to preach. So now think about this for a minute. So Jeremiah's got this yoke on, and he stands up and he says, look, if you don't listen to God, if you don't follow God, you're going to be in bondage, just like this yoke binds two animals together. Here it is. This is what your life is going to be like. You're going to be in bondage to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. You need to turn. You need to follow. And, 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 and it says that he wears it for a while. So follow this for a minute. Can you imagine me walking around all week going like this? I go, I go into Walmart. Hey, who's the guy with the stick? I don't know. Why is he doing that? I don't know. Can you imagine that? Everybody's talking about me. And everybody's wondering, why in the world is he doing that? That doesn't make any sense. And so Jeremiah goes in and he preaches and he's got his yoke. And he goes around and he kind of walks around the city and he's got his yoke. And then he gets really tired of doing this, so he starts one-harming it and carrying it or whatever. But everywhere he goes, he's got his yoke. And everybody's talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. Look, God will do the unusual to get his message across. And sometimes he asks tough things of his servants. He might be asking you to make a stand at work that means a lot of people are going to laugh at you. Means a lot of people are going to make fun of you. You know what, if it's God who's speaking to you, then you probably need to listen. And that's what happens. He goes on and it said, then I said to the priest and all these people, this is what the Lord says, don't listen to the prophets who say very soon now the articles from the Lord's house will be brought back from Babylon. See, they had thought that this will never happen, but Nebuchadnezzar came in and taken away the stuff out of the temple. And now they're sitting there going, so the false prophets have got to say something. So they say, oh, don't worry, it's coming back soon. And Jeremiah's saying, hey, coming back, folks. It ain't happening. Don't listen to them. You're about ready to be subject to the yoke of Babylon. And you better get it, get it across that that's what's going to happen. And so Jeremiah continues to preach, and he says, they are prophesying lies to you. Don't listen to them. And listen to what Jeremiah says. Serve the king of Babylon, and you'll live. Why should this city become a ruin? He said, look, when they come in, understand, this is the consequence of your choices. So you just need to go into captivity with them. You want to stay here and fight? Okay, but you're going to lose a city and your lives. And that's his message. And they're like, whoa, that's not right. And the, and the false prophets, everybody's coming to the false prophets, the, the priests, the leaders, religious leaders, they go, hey, is this guy right? Is this guy right? Is this guy right? And eventually they have to deal with him. Notice what happens in chapter 28. Again, Jeremiah still got his, still got his yoke. In the fifth month of the same year, the fourth year, early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the prophet Hananiah, son of Azariah, who was from the Gibeon, said to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the people, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I'll bring you back to this place and all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim. He was in captivity. King of Judah and all the other exiles from Judah went to Babylon, declares the Lord. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So basically what he does, Hananiah, the false prophet, stands up and takes, I, I imagine he probably took the yoke from Jeremiah and smashes that thing in two. 
and goes, you know what? This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm the prophet. I'm the religious leader. I'm, your, I, I'm the priest. It ain't going to be 70 years. In two years, we'll all be back. The king will be back. All the exiles will be back. All the stuff will be back in the temple. Now, here's a question. Is he speaking truth or lies? Lies. Is Jeremiah speaking truth or lies? True. So here's a question. How do you handle it when somebody is lying and you're representing truth? Notice what happens next. goes on. Uh, jump to the next one, guys. And he said before all the people, this is what the Lord says, in the same way I'll break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, off the neck of the nations. At this, the prophet Jeremiah did what? He went his way. He went his way. In other words, this guy's flat out lying about it. And Jeremiah says, okay. And he walks away. He's lying. Jeremiah's speaking truth. He walks away. Shortly after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke, off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, the word came to Jeremiah. Go and tell Hananiah, this is what the Lord says. So Jeremiah walks away. And, and, and here's why. We're going to talk about this at the end and, and when we apply it. Why does Jeremiah walk away? Huh? Yeah, he doesn't, decides not to argue with the fool, but what's Jeremiah ultimately doing here? You know what Jeremiah's saying? Not my problem, it's God's. Not my problem, it's God's. God told me to speak truth, I spoke truth. This guy wants to stand up and say all that, let him say all that, it's in the hands of God. I'm gonna walk away, I'm gonna take my hands off, let God deal with it, it's God's problem, not mine. Now that has incredible implications for us. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he says basically it's not my deal. He said it's God's deal. And notice what happened. Then God comes to him and says, this is what the Lord says, you've broken a wooden yoke, but at this place you'll get a yoke of iron. This is what the Lord Almighty God says, I will put an iron yoke on the necks of all those nations who make them and make them serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. They will serve him. I will even give him control over the wild animals and literally all of their animals, their livestock go into captivity as well. Then the prophet Jeremiah said, so God says, okay, you need to go tell Hananiah this. So Jeremiah walks up to Hananiah and he says, look, the Lord has not sent you. You have not persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Or you have persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. This very year, you're going to die because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. He says, you know what? God's told me to tell you this. I'm just the messenger. You're dead in a year. In the seventh month of the same year, Hananiah the prophet died. Because God took care of it. Because Jeremiah said, it's God's problem, not mine. And God takes care of him. And by the way, in those days, if you were a prophet and you, you, you lied, um, that was kind of a death sentence. It was, it was a career crusher because you, you were over. And that's exactly what God does here. So you have this scenario here where Jeremiah says, look, this is God's deal. I'm going to let God deal with it. Now, then you come to chapter 29. If you know any verse in Jeremiah, this is probably the passage that you know. Jeremiah chapter 29, here's what it says. Uh, 
This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those that carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens, eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give them to your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, that do not decrease. Seek peace and prosperity of the city which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord because it pros- if it prospers, you too will prosper. Jeremiah comes to people now and he says, look, you've rebelled against God. God's going to take you into captivity. Accept it. Keep going forward. Go ahead, build houses. Go ahead, have kids. Go ahead, do everything you can to, to make the community successful. Because one day, God's plan is he's going to bring you back. 70 years from now, he's going to bring you back. You have rebelled against God for 490 years, and now I'm, he's going to bring you back. It's going to be okay. So what you need to do is accept the consequences of what you've done. God still loves you. God still takes care of you. And then keep going forward. That's what he tells them. And then he comes to a passage you probably know. And here's what he says. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you, declares the Lord. And I'll bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. He says, Jeremiah, look, you need to go to these people and explain to them that, look, I'm not against them. Even though they're in captivity, I'm still with them. Even though they're going through a hard time, even though they're suffering the consequences of their action, I'm still with them. I got a plan. Yes. They didn't follow me? Yes. Because of that, they have to go into exile. But you know what? I got a plan. And Jeremiah, tell them to continue to follow me with their whole heart, even when they're in Babylon. And in time, they're coming back. I am still there with them. There are all kinds of, uh, of, of implications of that kind of thing. What he is basically saying is, look, these are the consequences of their decisions. Accept it, make the best of it, and keep moving on. You know, I, I see this a lot. Okay, I got to do a rabbit trail here because this is like a rabbit trail thing for me, okay? Parents, I, I see parents do this. Here's what they say. Kid gets in trouble. Kid's done something wrong. And I hear, I actually know parents, this is what they do. This is what they say. Okay, now look. If you tell me the truth, then I'm not going to punish you. <sighs> What have you just told the kid? What have you just taught that child? Do wrong as long as you tell truth, no consequences. So the kid grows up thinking, I can do wrong as long as I tell the truth, there's no consequences. Yes, officer, I was doing 100 miles an hour in a 35 mile an hour zone, but I admitted to it, so no consequences. No. If you break the law, there are consequences. So when my kids were growing up, I used to say this, look, you got two choices here. You tell me the truth, and they're still gonna, you're still in trouble. But you're not in as much trouble. The consequences will not be as severe. Or you lie to me, and I find out the truth from somebody else, 
And then as Katie barred the door, because your world's coming to a screeching halt. Because now you're in trouble for what you did and for lying to me. So you choose which way this is going to play out. Why? Because one of the things we have to teach our children is choices have consequences. Good choices, good consequences, bad choices, bad consequences. And, and, and what, here's what happened. Israel had rebelled against God for 490 years, and God said, look, consequence, you're going to go into captivity. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to be there for you. I'm still going to make, make, give you a future and give you a hope and give you that, but you need to make the best of a bad situation here. Because, see, I can, still look at my, I can still look at my kid and go, okay, you know what? Thanks for telling me the truth. Now you're grounded for a week. Give me the car keys. I'll take your cell phone. At that point, their world has crashed. Turn off the Internet, and, and they basically feel like they're in a cave. I mean, uh, you know, but, but that was it. It was like, okay. And there's times I've looked at them and said, okay, you know what? Uh, you're grounded for a week. Had you lied to me? It would have been a month. Because I see lying as worse than what you did. So everybody follow that? Okay, I'm off my rabbit trail. Okay, I, I, I'm concerned about this because we're raising a generation of kids that do not understand choices have consequences. And what do we as parents want to do today? We want to buffer the consequences. It's the worst thing we can do. God didn't look at him and say, okay, you're going to go into captivity, but don't worry, I'll coddle you the whole time. God said, no, you're going to live under a pagan guy, you're going to have to deal with the pagan things, you're going to have to deal with all of that. Why? Because that's a consequence of your action. I'm not going to coddle you through it. And I, I, I see parents running interference. I see, you know, my kids come home and go, oh, I can't believe it, that teacher was so unfair. You know what our answer to it was? Good. Because you're going to come up against life when, when a boss is unfair. So you better figure out now at 14, 15, 16 how to handle when somebody's unfair to you. Because in the real world, when you have a family, you can't just quit. Mommy and daddy can't go in and talk to the boss for you. Although now, you know what they're telling us now? Kids are bringing their parents to job interviews when they're 23 and 24 years old. I, I honestly, that's like you got to be kidding me. But it's an issue. I'm not teaching these kids to be, you know, apply it to the real world. There were consequences to Israel's actions, and God said, "Look, I'm still with you. I'm still there for you. I still have a future and a plan for you." But there's some consequences, you know? All right, a couple of lessons really quick and wrapping it up, and then we'll go out and try to live it. Um, here's the first one. Be careful about thinking it won't happen to you. Israel got themselves in trouble because they didn't think it would ever happen to them. I hear people go, ah, eh, you know, I don't understand why so-and-so is getting a divorce. It'll never happen to me. Whoa, you better back up that train. Oh, I can't believe their kids turned out that way. It never happened to me. Not with my kids. No, I, yeah. Yeah, you just put a target on your back. No, no. But by the grace of God, there go I. But by the grace of God, there go I. And so, you know, the bottom line is that, 
you got to get you got to be careful about getting to the point that you think it can't happen to you. Israel got themselves in trouble because they said it'll never happen here. And then when it did happen, they tried to go, oh, it'll be okay in two years. Instead of really going to the Word of God and saying, this is what God says, this is what's going to happen. So we better, we better get our ducks in a row here. Be careful about that. Be careful about that. Because it, it can happen to any of us. That's the reality of living in a, in, in a sin-cursed world. Um, sometimes God's going to ask the unusual of you. I'm not saying God's going to come to you and say, build one of these and wear it for a month. But you know what? God might be asking you to take a stand at work on something that's going on that's wrong, and you know how hard that's going to be. Or God might be asking you to draw a line with your kids and stop coddling them and stop cushioning some stuff and God might be asking you to do some really hard things in your family. Who are you going to listen to? God looked at Jeremiah and said, go build a yoke, wear it. And he went, okay. It, make sure it's God now. You know, don't come in and go, well, God told me, yeah, pastor, you know, God, I prayed during that service and I want to wear that yoke this week, you know. Mm, let's be sure it's God and not like a bad pizza or something like that. I mean, it needs to be God speaking to you on stuff like that. But by the way, the Word of God's clear on some of the things we ought to be doing. It's really clear. We've got a choice. We do what God says, the way God says to do it, or we do it our own way. And he says, look, this is, this is it. God, God asked him to do it, and Jeremiah said, okay. And you've got to realize that sometimes, sometimes I, I've always said this, I, I often believe God asks us to do the difficult. And when I'm faced with a decision, there's an easy choice and a difficult choice, 90% of the time the difficult choice is the one God wants me to make. Because the rest of the world's making the easy choice. Um, sometimes he asks that. You have to know when to walk away. I think that's a great lesson in these chapters. I see so many people that they want something, and so they pray about it, and God's not doing it, and then it, they're frustrated because it's like, okay, well, since God's not doing this, then, like, I need to help him because God's, like, not power. I know he can create the world, but he really, see, he can't speak to this person's heart, so I got to speak to their heart. Look, we believe that the only way a person goes to heaven is by putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We believe that when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one gets to the Father, but I mean, that's exactly what he meant. We believe that salvation is incredibly simple. He made it so that a thief on a cross who could never go to church, never give a dime, never be baptized, never be confirmed, never be any of that stuff, could be in heaven with him. We believe that salvation is a gift that's offered, but it has to be accepted. A gift offered and not accepted is not a gift. You know, if you want to give me $10,000 after the service, and I go, mm, no. You can offer that gift all day long. It's not mine until I reach out and take it from you. Or mug you in the parking lot. I mean, at that point, it's not mine until I take it. It's not mine until I take it. There has to be an acceptance of it. So we believe God offers salvation to everyone. That's what the Bible says. What it means, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He offers it, we have to take it. And here's what happened. There's a lot of people in here who have done that. And there are people in here who haven't. And there are people here who... You have family, friends, neighbors, people that you are burdened for, and you want to see them embrace that. 
You want to see them accept that gift. Know when to walk away. See, it's not your job to get them saved. It's your job to present the gospel. It's your job to share the love of Christ with them. It's your job to make sure that they know how important it is to you. It's not your job to make the decision for them. So you see, here's what's going to happen today. I'm going to preach this message that I worked on all week, and I'm going to preach this message, and, and I'm hoping that people will embrace it and go out and do it and da-da-da. But what if I went home today and went, okay, I need to email, okay? I need to ma- email Chris and make sure that he got it because this is what I wanted Chris to take away from the message. And Lael, you know, I, I got to make sure Lael got this part of it because, you know, Lael doesn't have this part of it right. And then, and then, and then Earl... Well, that's a whole other ballgame. I mean, I really got to spend some time there. So I'm going I'm to email Earl and make, I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to visit Earl. Say, okay, now, Earl, did you get all those points that I had for you? Because I want to make sure that you get this and this and this and this and this. No, you know what I do? I do what God's told me to do, preach the message, be, be as faithful as I can to the word of God. I get in my car, I drive home, and I go, not my deal anymore. God can create a world. He can work in your heart. God, and by the way, you should live in my little world for a while because people come up to me and go, oh, you know what? That was so great. God really spoke to my heart. This is what I heard. And I'm going, man, I don't even remember saying that. Why? Because it's God working in the heart, not me. When I walk out of there, I take my hands off. If I lived on the basis of whether, if Jeremiah lived on the basis of whether or not people applied what he said, he would have quit preaching after a week. If I put my, my, my success or failure in this church based on what you apply from what I teach, I'd have quit this thing 20 years ago. That's not my responsibility. I take my hands off. It's God's deal. And in that situation right now that you're trying to control so much, walk away. Let it be God's deal, not yours. You do what God wants you to do. You do what God's called you to do. You listen and respond to God. But it's God's deal, not yours. And Jeremiah, when they looked at him and lied about him and said, you're lying, you're not telling, even though he knew he was right, even though he knew he was telling the truth, you know what he does? He walks away. He goes, you know what? It's God's deal. So God, you got to take care of Hannah and I. And then God comes to him a little later and says, hey, Jeremiah, I've decided how I'm going to handle the Hannah and I situation. i got one more message I want you to give to him. And he's dead. And I don't think he went in gloating about it or anything else. He went, Hannah and I, look, I hate to tell you, bro. I hate to tell you, buddy, but this is what God says. You shouldn't have busted my yoke, man. It was a bad thing. And you ticked off God. And you're going to be dead in a year, buddy. But I'm not taking your life. It's God's deal. God's dealing with it. And I think the last encouragement, the hope of all of this is, look, God hasn't abandoned you. You might, deal with, you might be dealing with the consequences of your sin, somebody else's sin, or just the fact that you lived in a sin-cursed world, whatever. But in what you're going through right now, find hope in what he says in Jeremiah 29, which is this. Accept it. Keep going forward. Stay close to God. Don't let it rattle your cage and give up. He looks at him and says, look, Jeremiah, 
Tell these people, when, they go into, when they're in the captivity, you tell them, keep plugging away. Have kids. Build houses. Go work for Babylon. Do whatever you need to do. You just keep going forward, but you stay close to me because one day I'm bringing you back. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't, don't, don't look at them and say, oh, we can't have kids in a foreign land. No, no, this is all. I'm gonna, I've got plans, and those plans are a hope and a future. And one day, Jeremiah, 70 years from now, one day, Jeremiah, 70 years from now, some guy by the name of Ezra is going to come onto the scene. They're going to go back, and they're going to rebuild the temple. And then a little bit after that, Jeremiah, there's a guy by the name of Nehemiah, and he's going to come along. And he's going to see the temple and no walls. And he's going to say, let's go put up walls so the temple's protected. But Jeremiah, those two guys, Ezra and Nehemiah, they're going to come because you planted stuff and built houses and stayed faithful to me. That's all part of what I'm trying to accomplish, Jeremiah. So accept it and keep moving forward. And some of you are going through some tough stuff right now. Here's what I'd say to you. Your world's turned upside down and you've got two choices. You spend your time, energy, and effort trying to turn the world right side up. And in some cases, that's impossible. Or, option number two, you live the best you can in an upside-down world. He said, Jeremiah, these people have been in Jerusalem, all this, they're going to go into a foreign land and a foreign place, and everything's going to be different, and their world is literally going to be turned upside down. They're not even going to be able to speak the language of these people. They're going to have different foods, different culture, different customs, different everything. Jeremiah, tell them to go out there and live in that upside-down world and stay faithful to me, and I'll continue to use them. And you and I read books like Daniel, and we read about the lion's den, and we read about the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fire, and we read all that. We know why? Because this group walks out of there and does that. And then you read books like Ezra and Nehemiah. Why? Because God, these people did listen to that. So whatever you're going through right now, don't give up. Don't give up. So I end with my prayer for you this week. As Jeremiah challenges the people to realize hardship happens. And sometimes God's going to ask the unusual. We need to respond properly. And there often comes a turning point in any situation when we just simply have to walk away and turn it over to God. And allow God to work out his plan for our future and to hope for our future as well. Walk with him this week. Let's pray. Lord, use it, guide it, and direct in our lives. Lord, it's easy to hear it's hard to do. And God, as we head into this week, Lord, may we learn some lessons from Jeremiah. Lord, may we be careful about pride and thinking it won't happen to us. When you ask us to do the hard things, may we do it. May we honestly, Lord, know when to stop working on our part and trust you to do your part. And Lord, may we never quit. May we always keep in the back of our mind that even though things are tough, even though we find ourselves in an upside-down world, you are still there. You have not abandoned us. You still love us. So Lord, use us to bring honor and glory to you, to walk close with you and all we say and do. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together. and. Um,